All right, welcome back to another exciting podcast from Skyline Columbus, right out of Columbus, Georgia. This is the Saturday, November 19th scheduled podcast, and we are going to do more or less of a a follow-up or maybe a part two to the airspace podcast that we had last week. So if you remember last week, we talked about controlled airspace and uncontrolled airspace. But there is another side of this, and it's called special use airspace, S-U-A, special use airspace. And these airspaces are galore. They're all over. We have several of these throughout the uh, state of Georgia and surrounding area. And it's something that you really need to be aware of when you're going through this. So let's talk about some of these. Uh, The very first one is called a prohibited area, prohibited area. And when you see these on a chart, you'll have like a a hatching, uh, a drawing of like a, it'll be a box or a circle and it's called hatching. It looks like the, the, uh, the, the teeth of a comb is what it looks like to me. And uh, it'll be a box or some type of odd shape or a circle, but it'll have these these hatching on it. And um, these particular ones will be uh, in blue. And flight of aircraft through this area is absolutely prohibited, okay? Uh, No person may operate an aircraft in a prohibited area. But you can get permission... It's just probably not going to happen. However, they have these things called controlling agencies. And if you look at your VFR sectional down at the bottom of it where it has all the all the uh, areas listed, it could be on the top of some, could be on the back of some. just really depends on how full the sectional is. But it has a space on there. It tells you uh, the area, the prohibited area, or the other special use airspaces, and tells you what the controlling agency is. Who has control over that? And you can actually go and talk to them and tell them, hey, look, I need to go inside this prohibited area and I need to do this, this, this. And they'll say yay or nay. Okay? So if you see a prohibited area on a chart, understand that these things are established for some type of national security with the national welfare. That's the whole big thing there. Okay? So uh, don't look uh, to going into a prohibited area if you see them. Uh, because these things are really protected. The next thing is a restricted area. Now, a restricted area uh, is depicted exactly the same as a prohibited area. Same color, same hatching. Uh, However, inside of it, it'll have a number, just like a prohibited area will have a number, say like P-42. This, it'll say uh, R. It will read R-1055, or whatever the number is associated with that restricted area. And uh, we have restricted areas around Columbus. Uh, we have restricted area 3002, and they're stacked on top of one another. So they not only have a lateral, but they have uh, they go up and down, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Those particular ones are stacked on top of one another. So you have R3002A, which is on the bottom, and then B, which is on top of that, and C, and D, and E. And they have different dimensions to them, okay? Um, it is not wholly prohibited to fly through a restricted area. But it's subject to a lot of restrictions. Um, if you look at it, no person may operate an aircraft within a restricted area unless advanced permission has been granted. So we're looking at exactly the same thing as the prohibited area, but the prohibited area is a little more tight, has to deal with national security, national welfare, 
and the restricted area is just, just basically some, some what we call often invisible and unseen hazards, artillery firing, guided missiles, aerial gunnery. You know, those things are not too friendly when it comes to these small airplanes that we fly. So we want to kind of stay away from there and give give these people that's operating there, usually it's the military, give them their own little space and let them do what they want to do. There's plenty of more airspace for us to fly around. These restricted areas, unlike a prohibited area, which is uh, referred to as hot all the time, which means it's active all the time, a restricted area can go cold, which means it's not active, or hot, which is active. And so you don't want to check with ATC before you do that or just check the times on the sheet on the uh, sectional. It'll actually tell you what times is valid. However, those times on the sectionals are not usually as valid as what they read. So check with ATC before you try to fly through it if you're VFR because you will get in a lot of trouble if you fly through there and they know exactly who you are. Just check to make sure that it's hot or cold before you fly through it. If you're talking with ATC already, they're going to advise you. Normally they're going to advise you. Uh, it's not guaranteed, but normally they will advise you due to the basic radar service that you get. Okay, the next one is called a MOA or a military operational area. And the main reason behind this entire MOA is to separate the non-hazardous side of the military operations. So no, we're not talking about these, these things that's going on in a restricted area like uh, aerial gunnery and guided missiles, artillery fire and stuff like that. We're talking about non-hazardous military activities. So out at Fort Benning here in Columbus, it may be jumpers, certain other type of activities that does not require these non-hazardous military duties, but it separates these duties, these non-hazardous military activities and duties from IFR traffic. So, as a VFR pilot, can you fly through a MOA, an MOA? Absolutely. But you better exercise extreme caution because you really just don't want to walk up on one of these one of these airplanes going pretty fast or doing some type of military exercises in there. Uh, and, you know, it, it's just a bad place to be. I would simply just stay out of it or stay above it. Okay? Okay, so um, when an MOA, just like a restricted air, when an MOA is not hot, then non-participating IFR traffic uh, is going to go ahead and be cleared through it. However, if you're, uh, if you're IFR, normally they'll just send you around it just to keep you separated from those activities going inside of that. So if you're VFR, you can fly through it, but you exercise extreme caution. And if you're IFR, if it's hot, you can't go through it. If it's cold, you can go through it. The next one we have is called a warning area. Now the warning area to me, the easy way I like to remember this is to me, and the way I read it in the book, is that a warning area is the same as a restricted area, except it's over water. So just think of warning water, W, warning water. And it, what you're looking at there on these warning areas is a, it's definitely a defined dimension. And it extends outward, three nautical miles outward from the coast of the United States. And the purpose is to warn pilots of activity that may be hazardous to non-participating aircraft. You're going to have the same type of... Uh, hazards that you have in a restricted area, these invisible, often unseen hazards in these warning areas. Okay, the alert areas. Alert area is something that you'll find like down in Fort Rucker, places where they have large amounts of training, of pilot training. So what is an alert area? It's a high volume of pilot training, or it can be some other type of unusual type 
of training, but it's an aerial activity, okay? Bottom line is, it's an aerial activity, and it's high volumes of these aerial activities. Participating pilots, as well as aircraft, transitioning through these areas should be equally responsible for collision avoidance because you are going to see something in that area guaranteed. If you have a traffic system on board your airplane and you fly through an alert area, it's going to be going off like the 4th of July. The thing's going to just constantly ring. Now, the next thing is really not depicted on a chart. Uh, it only appears uh, on certain type of uh, FA publications, and it's called a controlled firing area. And they are activities uh, that are that have some type of, uh, they're going to be shooting something up in the air or doing something with the airspace. And um, they use a spotter aircraft or maybe radar or a lookout person. And these are called spotters. These things spot for the agency that's doing whatever they're doing. Could be a college or it could be someone building their own homemade rocket that's requested special permission from the FAA to do these things. There's no need to really chart these uh, on your route because they, they do not call non-participating aircraft to change its flight path because it's simply someone is looking for you. They're trying to find you first so they can stop their operations. Now the next one is a, is a pretty important one, I think. A lot of people really uh, misplace the use of these particular items, but it's called a, an MTR, or Military Training Route. And if you look at your VFR sectional, you'll see these particular items. They look like Victor Airways, but they're not. They're very light gray charcoal colored lines, and they'll have specific numbers on them. Uh, and those numbers do mean everything, but uh, they're divided up, they're, you know, from context clues, just figured out. It's a military training route, MTR. The military are on these particular things, and they're sometimes going very fast and very low, okay? So on your VFR military training routes, you'll have a VR in front of it. If it's an IFR training route, it's a, it's an IR in front of it. And these VFR routes are generally flown below 1,500 feet AGL, uh, although some portions may be above 1,500, but generally they're flown below 1,500. Uh, again, these may involve uh, speeds in excess of 250 knots if it's below if it's below 200 of uh, 10,000 feet. So we know that when our rules of flying out in the uh, national airspace system, we do not go over 250 knots indicated below 10,000 feet. However, on these MTRs, these military guys, military girls who are flying these aircraft, they are not restricted to this 250 knots. So 1,500 feet going 250 knots, I would make sure that I watch out if I cross one of these MTRs. Uh, all the MTRs that are out there are published on sectionals uh, and on the low, into, uh, the low altitude in route charts. However, uh, you really want to make sure that you really pay close attention to crossing over these MTRs and uh, make sure you watch out for these aircraft moving. Now for you IFR guys that's using these and you want to be able to look at uh, look and see if you're going to be a hazard on these, the same exact restrictions flown uh, except most of these, the IR routes, are going to be above 1500 AGL and mostly below 10,000 feet MSL and they're conducted in, in accordance with IFR regulations regardless of the weather so they're going to be actually you know following IFR regulations whether it's IMC or VMC outside again these may involve speeds in excess of 250 knots if they're operating below 10,000 feet and of course the it is depicted all the MTRs that are 
available are depicted on these routes. Uh, MTRs with no segment above 1500 feet AGL usually are identified by a four number character. For example, VR1555 or IR1555. Those particular numbers, uh, four different numbers, tell you right there that the, the MTRs have no segment above 1500 feet AGL. Now, if the MTR does have one or more segments above 1500 feet AGL, they shall be identified by a three numbered character like VR155, IR155. And remember, non-participating aircraft are not prohibited from flying within an MTR. However, remember this, extreme vigilance should be exercised because these items are going very fast, much faster than what you're doing. And some of these colors on these aircraft are very hard to see. Uh, what I found through my time of flying is that the people that are using these MTRs are mostly uh, rotorcraft pilots. That's what I found out. And the second thing I found out is that, one, I don't really need to be operating below 1,500 feet AGL. I need to use altitude as my friend and stay above all this garbage because I need to be up where my airplane is performing good, better, best, up 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 foot range. And these Cessnas that we use here and the Beechcraft models we use here, that's where they get the best performance. That's where it's going to save you the training cost because the more cost that you burn in the airplane, the higher our rental costs go. So you need to help us control cost also. That's pretty much it with the, with the restricted airspace. It's not that much to it. Very quick items there. There are some other items that we can talk about, uh, but we'll have one specific seminar or podcast on these items because it's kind of a lengthy subject area and it's very specific. The other ones are what they call the air defense identification zone. We're going to have one coming out just on the ADIZ uh, because we'll actually do some ADIZ training here at Skyline and we want that podcast to kind of go along with that when we present that in the future. So a little quick little 15 minute course here today. Review this as many times as you have to for the private pilot these particular special use airspaces are going to be very common into your everyday flying. So make sure that you stay on top of it. Record your podcast. Take it with you. You can play it on your smartphone if you have to while you're waiting someplace. Or you can listen to it at the office. These are just a great add-on to your everyday training. We look forward to seeing you at the airport. And we hope always that you have a great tailwind. We'll see you soon.